Hello friends, welcome back to Earmarks, the chilled out podcast about out of print books. Today, we're going to talk about a cyberpunk novel called When Gravity Falls by George Alec Effinger. Gravity Fails is a futuristic 22nd century cyberpunk novel that takes place in a fictional Middle Eastern city slash town called the Budayin. It was originally published in 1986 and was last published in 2015. Interestingly, unlike a lot of the other science fiction novels, When Gravity Fails is has not been reprinted every two to three or five years since it was originally published. It's only been printed or published a handful of times over that time. It also was nominated uh, and was the finalist for both a Hugo and a Nebula Award for Best Novel in 1987 and 1988, respectively. I find it interesting how a lot of these older novels um, were published one year and then nominated for Hugos and Nebulas up several years after their publishing date sometimes. Um, unsure how that happens or why, but I have noticed a trend. My particular copy of When Gravity Fails is another Easton Press edition, big surprise. Um, eBay is my friend when it comes to books that I enjoy. This one is absolutely gorgeous. It's got a an abstract sort of design on the cover that's meant to evoke like the Boudin itself, doorways and sands blowing and things like that um it also on the inside has a what i think is an absolutely terrible artist's rendition of a scene in the boudin i think it's awful it doesn't really capture anything that the book really describes and it kind of makes one of the main villains uh seem like just a boring white guy which is not really how he's depicted in the book I think it's a terrible illustration, which is a rare miss for Easton Press. Okay, let's get into a little bit of the history here. Um, because this book and George Alec Effinger have an interesting tale. George Alec Effinger dealt with health problems most of his life um, and unfortunately died at just 55 years old in the year 2002. Um, he was born in Ohio and he moved early on in his life down to New Orleans and spent most of his life in New Orleans struggling with his health. Um, interestingly, after he had written this book, many others before this, and its two sequels, um, he had to file for bankruptcy due to his medical debts, which were staggering, apparently. Um, the uh, utterly surprising plot twist here is that as part of that bankruptcy, the ownership of the intellectual property of his written works went to the creditors, which in this case happened to be the hospital. So for a while, the hospital owned the rights to the entire body of work that George Alec Effinger had ever written, including this novel. In yet another twist, George fought a long time to get these rights back, and he finally appealed, and um, the hospital needed to send a representative to the court to appear and 
and actually partake in this legal battle and appeal. And luckily, during that time, the hospital did not send any representative to the court to try and retain any of this copyright. So in this appeal, these the intellectual property reverted back to George and he was able to finally finish and publish some of his work and get all the rights back and all that stuff. Thankfully, um, he regained full control after his bankruptcy, which is great. Yet another incredibly interesting little tidbit of this book is it spawned a video game, which uh, I have played and is quite wild. The video game it spawned, uh, Circuit's Edge, made in 1990 by Westwood Studios, of all things, which I think is hilarious, was a sort of text-based adventure. It was a story that followed Marid and the basically entire narrative of the book, and it was extremely well-received. Luckily, you can find it on archive.org for free. It was an MS-DOS game, and now it is available for free. Anybody can, with an internet connection and a browser can go play it. I will leave a link to that in the doobly-doo. Definitely check it out because it's a very interesting playthrough, and it, shockingly, is a video game that follows the novel quite well. I think it's a great adaptation. With that, let's get into the spoiler-free section of this review. I have a, a bit to say before you read this novel if you have not already decided to by now. When Gravity Fails is a pretty unique take on the cyberpunk genre. Uh, not by being a hard-boiled murder mystery, which it is, but by being set in the Middle East, um, which is was new to me and is definitely something I haven't seen much, if at all, before. Uh, it's centered around the themes, concepts, and individuals and participants of Islam. And... It delivers on that shtick too. It's not just uh, an interesting concept with no follow-through. Uh, it is a surprisingly well-grounded, surprisingly well-written look at an Islamic version of a cyberpunk dystopian city. It's, it's very clear to me, anyways, that this is a well-written, hard-boiled murder mystery novel set in a future Middle Eastern setting. And that setting happens to make it cyberpunk. Um, it's not the other way around where he set off to write a cyberpunk novel and chose to do a Middle Eastern sort of murder mystery there. It's very much the reverse of that. I had read the novel before I knew anything about George Alec Effinger. And having finished it, I assumed he was Muslim. I assumed he you know, was a participant in this faith system because the novel is so well written and is so, I guess, accurate in its depictions of a lot of the Islamic traditions or a lot of how, like, its core pillars uh, would affect such a cyberpunky dystopia. They talk a lot about how it might affect a person who's had their brain modified, for example. But it turns out George was not. He was a, a person from Ohio up in the new or in new orleans who just decided to write in this setting because he also had not seen that before and thought it would be interesting and i think he nailed it personally the novel also deals pretty heavily with trans individuals um with in mostly sensitive manner um though not without blemish uh it is not a perfect novel in that sense but especially being written in the 80s um i think it, it deals with it quite sensitively it's a little bit of road bumps Sometimes, uh, like for example, it refers to trans people as sex changes a lot of the time, um, which is not necessarily offensive, but is also not accurate 
a lot of the time either. So it, it is a little bit of product of its time. It was written before the term trans really entered the lexicon, but it tries to handle things delicately and sensitively. In fact, most of the people and relationships in this novel are trans, uh, which I think is also extremely fascinating. Effinger does a pretty good job of talking about trans individuals in a contrast of both um, accepting and taboo ways when it makes sense for the narrative or the setting or the story without really stuffing his foot in his mouth over it, uh, which is great. At the time the novel was written, the norm uh, was considerably less sensitive towards the subjects of sexual identity and gender and just the mutual respect that humans can show each other. So this novel exploring that um, is definitely on the n less common side of that spectrum of, of narrative and written work, and I think it deserves to be pointed out here. When Gravity Fails is not a perfect novel, but I do think it's a pretty good one. Uh, if nothing else, it's a fresh take on cyberpunk, which is a utterly welcome change of pace for me these days um, where conventional cyberpunk is frankly too close to reality uh, feels a bit too much like regular life it's good sci-fi it's grounded it's well written it's well described the characters are good and it's the beginning of a series to boot you should read it all right let's get into the spoiler filled version of this review because i have a couple of things i'd like to point out Firstly, I really like that Marid is initially portrayed as, as this lowly scavenger street rat type of mercenary from the very beginning of the novel. And it turns out, not only does he like it that way, that's his preferred way of living his life, but also he isn't some ultimate hero, genius, playboy, philanthropist laying low in the streets or anything like that. He gets bested often. He is not a genius. <laughs> He's addicted to painkillers. Generally doesn't want to do any of this shit. Doesn't want to partake in most of the stuff in this novel. And just barely figures his way uh, slightly above luck into surviving this story. I absolutely love that. To that end, this novel is also written with an incredible amount of swagger. Um, I don't know if it's the word choice or sentence structure or what, but from... Chapter one, this, this novel has a swagger to it that I think really conveys the Budayin and Marid's place in it. He's, he, he's almost an anti-hero, but he's incredibly charming and likable and, and generally just a, a, a good guy as far as, as far as the Budayin is concerned. Marid thinks very highly of himself, uh, but overall, he has next to no ambition. Um, he doesn't want to do greater things. He's incredibly happy just living his day-to-day -day life, finding and falling in love, chasing his painkillers, and paying his rent. Like, he doesn't have greater ambitions until he's thrust into the sea at storm with the rest of this narrative. Aside from the setting, I think this book does cyberpunk quite well uh, in a very medium sort of way. Uh, let me explain. Effinger spends much more time showing daily life in a cyberpunk future as opposed to... Uh, just parading tech candy in front of the audience the whole time. There's actually precious little cyberpunk tech on display in this novel, which to me makes it even better. I think that makes it a much more believable cyberpunk future. Following Marid's drug addiction uh, while he tries to save his friends from an unknown serial killer is surprisingly fun. We get to see him go from thinking that he's better than everybody around him because he hasn't had his brain wired 
and he relies on his unmodified wit and opioids and sedatives uh, to pull off a lot of the same stunts or activities or what have you that the modified brains of his friends and, and colleagues can do. And he takes a lot of pride in that, and this novel plays a lot with that pride. Watching him go through this roller coaster of him realizing then that his drug problem is a legit problem um, to kicking that habit uh, all the way to the end of the novel where he relapses. It's a very down-to-earth sort of realistic look at what the realities of a cyberpunk drug addiction would look like. This novel doesn't really rely on any sort of future super drug, cyberpunk, all the high, none of the side effects sort of drug with no consequences or downside, which is really great. It uses delightfully old school drugs uh, and drug mentality and vocabulary, um, you know, relying on opiates and sedatives and things and, and, and using phrases and calling out drug names by name, which have fallen fully out of fashion by now. Things like quaaludes. He talks about quaaludes in this novel, which are not really a thing as I speak these words into this microphone. The Buddha Yin being based on the New Orleans that Effinger knew and lived in in the 80s uh, is also a surprisingly wonderful mix to me because it feels like a very dense, well-lived-in sort of cyberpunk every city, right, that's, you know, in the desert uh, because I didn't really have uh, a Middle Eastern analog in my brain to compare that to. You know, uh, you think of a lot of cyberpunk and and. Based on its descriptions, you've got like a uh, Neo-Tokyo vibe or something, right? I didn't have an analog like that for the Middle East. However, after finishing the novel and learning that it was based in New Orleans, it kind of all came together like a bunch of puzzle pieces where like, oh, suddenly a lot of those choices made a lot of sense and it felt really clear and a really present sort of city in a way that it didn't before. It feels less like a city in the Middle East and more like a like almost an alternate history version of like if New Orleans had become entirely Muslim instead of like Creole and Cajun, which is delightful. I also absolutely love that this book follows like a proper tragic trajectory. Uh, Marid saves the day. He gets the killer. It becomes the hero of the Boudin in the penultimate chapter. He drinks for free. His friends think he's made it. He saved everybody. He's hailed in the streets as a hero uh, because he, he got this like mysterious serial killer who's been ravaging the city. Uh, but he knows, and he's expressed this through the novel, but he knows that there's two killers. Somebody else has been doing this too. These, this string of murders had two distinct killers, but nobody else believes that that's true except for him. Eventually, uh, in the final chapter, that comes to fruition. And he's proven right. There is a second killer. He confronts him. And in doing what it takes to deal with that second killer and save his friends once and for all, he crosses the line and becomes a monster to his friends, um, completely ostracizing himself from them uh, and everyone that he loves and deals with and becomes exactly what he hates most for their protection. But that doesn't really save him in their hearts. It is, it is rather tragic. The last chapter is a real kick in the nuts. And with that, I'd like to get to some of my criticisms of this novel. Because that ending, that hard turn into tragedy where the rug gets pulled out from under Marid, feels a little bit like it was added on after the fact. It feels 
like it was tacked onto the end in order to give this story a trilogy that it can partake in. I don't think that that's how that was, but that is definitely, there's an element of that in the feeling of this, this rug pull. It is a distinct and stark chapter to chapter change in tone and feeling from, from the second to last chapter to the last chapter. It is a distinct change. Another criticism I have with this novel is there is a kind of a habit of having a lot of predictable turns and twists and plot points in the novel. Um, definitely not all of them, but being a hard-boiled murder mystery, some of it's quite predictable, uh, which is at times a little bit boring in its predictability, but it still had some good twists in there that were on, that I did not foresee coming, didn't feel like they were telegraphed 10 chapters ago. Lastly, um, something I do feel like needs to be addressed, and it is a criticism, criticism I have with this novel because it feels deeply out of place. Uh, at the end of chapter 19, toward, right towards the end of the book, um, there's a distinct hard R N-word. Granted, uh, it is the main character, Mari, using it derisively against himself. He's, he feels like it's um, you know, his, his own thing, right? It's not necessarily used towards somebody, but um, it is still used in a derisive manner, right? It, it's, Effinger uses it as like a slang term for like a lesser person, which is like a, a smelling salt in the novel. It was extremely jarring, especially because the entire rest of the book is not like that. It felt really like out of, out of nowhere, and pulled me out of the narrative and pulled me out of my suspension to disbelief. And it, it kind of ruined the flow. So there's that. When Gravity Fails is not necessarily a groundbreaking book, except for the setting. But it is a good story. And it feels a lot more like our hero is a real person. And not a particularly saintly one at that. Uh, who's just trying to become heroic to save his friends. Even at the cost of his own body. And it mostly works for him up until the end. I enjoyed this novel quite a lot, and I hope you did too. All right. Thank you all for listening. There's also a YouTube version of this podcast if you want to watch it. For this episode in particular, I highly recommend it so you can see some of the footage of that video game. And that's also how you can see, you know, the beautiful books themselves that I talk about. And you can find that at youtube.com slash at earmarks. If you'd like to read... A written version of this review, longer one that has some of the stuff that was cut out of this podcast episode, you can do that at earmarkspod.com. If you have any suggestions for out-of-print books you'd like me to include, please send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. My email is earmarks at punk.dev. Let me know. I'd, I'd love to add to the list for this show. Thanks again. Be kind to yourself. <laughs>